Well, good morning again. Uh, good to see you here on the second Sunday of 2023. And uh, looking forward to the year ahead and all that the Lord has for us. And especially uh, the opportunity to, uh, as has already been shared today, to see people here in our own neighborhoods uh, come to know Jesus as, our, as their Savior, as he's become our Savior. The title of my message today is For the Sake of the Gospel came from that last verse that we just read together from 1 Corinthians 9. You know, whenever we see somebody who does something with great power or great success or great influence, we always try to investigate them, to figure them out, to find the secrets of their success. We do that in the political world. We do that in the the business world. And uh, certainly it happens even in the religious world. What is their purpose? What is their strategy? What motivates them? How do they get the job done? And that's essentially what Paul allows us to do this morning in his words to the Corinthian church. He explains to us in just a few verses that we've read his philosophy of ministry. What makes him tick as an apostle, as a servant, as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get to interview him. So I want to do that by the means of using three questions today. And the first question that I want to ask Paul along with you to see what makes him tick is this. What are you doing, Paul? What are you doing? And then the second question we'll ask him is, how are you doing that? And the third question is, why are you doing that? So let's think about what Paul has in answer to these three questions this morning. First of all, what are you doing, Paul? What is Paul's answer in the text? I would suggest to you that what Paul is all about, what Paul is up to, and what is so clear in these verses is that Paul is seeking to win people for Christ. Paul is in the old-fashioned business of soul winning. And he is absolutely in no doubt as to what he's doing. The word that's used throughout these verses is the word win. Did you notice it as we read it? It's a very graphic word in the Greek New Testament. It means just what it might seem for you to mean. For, For example... In a few other places in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, if somebody is involved in a sin and you confront them about their sin and they listen to you and they respond in repentance, you have won your brother over. Same word. In in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul wrote that the great desire of his life is that he might win Christ. Same word. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 1, he speaks of wives who have husbands who do not believe. And Peter says to the wives, it would be better for you to live quietly and let your life speak so that your husband is won over, not by your words, but by your behavior. Same word. Paul is in the business of, of winning. You'll notice he repeats this word win 
with a lot of frequency in our text. In verse 19, that I might win more of them. In verse 20 at the end, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21 at the end, that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He changes the word there to save, which has the idea of rescuing like a slave would be rescued from bondage because someone purchases their freedom. It's unmistakable to see Paul's passion in this text to win souls. What did Jesus say? You remember in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, 19, he said to his soon-to-be disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. No matter what else, this is fundamental in the Christian life. Jesus wasn't planning to walk his road, his journey, down to Jerusalem to a cross by himself. He was inviting his disciples to join him. And their attitude was not, hey, I, I'm glad that we know Jesus now. Let's all sit around and have a beautiful picnic and just, you know, la, 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 la. Let the world, you know, go on its way. No. If you're with Jesus, you're going fishing. Fishing for men. One of the key ingredients in a life that professes faith in Jesus, maybe, maybe the greatest evidence that someone is a follower of Jesus is not that you're sitting here in a church building this morning or that you're attending a Bible study during the week. Though those are great things. It might be not that you serve in a ministry faithfully, although we want you to do that. The supreme evidence of new birth is that we can't keep it to ourselves. We recognize we have good news. And there are others who don't know the good news. So every day, in every way, we want to win others to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Solomon said back in Proverbs 11.30? Whoever captures, wins souls is wise. Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul was a persuader. Christians are in the persuasion business. Paul says, I want to win people. Do you ever go fishing for men and women, brothers and sisters? I don't mean fishing in other churches for people who are tired with their preachers. I'm talking about fishing for people who are lost. I'm talking about our friends in the office when they say, you know, I just don't understand what all this faith stuff is about. I'm talking about reaching into the lives of our neighbors that we might see on a daily basis who never, ever darken the door of a church, who have no interest in reading the Bible and probably very little understanding about any of the concepts surrounding eternity. 
Are we prepared, are you and I prepared to take Paul's example here and make it our purpose in life as well? Just make a commitment today. I'm going to challenge you right now. Grab a piece of paper. Go ahead, right now. Find a piece of paper. Maybe you have something in your purse. Maybe you can grab one of those cards in front of you. Just grab a piece of paper. Grab something to write with. And write on this piece of paper right now the names of people that you know in your pond, so to speak, who don't know Jesus. Now, if you don't know anybody, then there's a different issue to work on, right? I think we all probably know somebody, don't we? And two, and three, and four, and five, and ten, and twenty. Write down their names. As, as I'm speaking, just continue to write them down. And begin to pray for these people. And you know what? I would love to get a copy of these names from you. So I can pray along with you that the Lord will save these people and will save them through your witness as you go fishing. You know, the issue, by the way, is not that you get them here into this church. The issue is that you fish them for Jesus. Paul says, you want to know what I'm about? What are you doing, Paul? I'm fishing. I want to win people. Let's ask him another question. All right, Paul, you've made it pretty clear what you're about. You want to win, 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 win. We say it over and over and over and over in the text. How are you doing this, Paul? How are you doing this? Paul's purpose is clear, but he makes his strategy here equally clear. There's an amazing paradox, a a seeming contradiction here in verse 19. Look what he says. For though I am free from all, he's free. Remember, that was one of the questions he asked back in verse 1 of this chapter. Am I not free? Well, he's, he's, he's coming back. He's revisiting that point now in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. And that word servant literally is slave. Paul's saying, I am no man's slave. I'm free. But I am making myself every man's slave. It's a strange statement, isn't it? Paul, why are you doing that? What does he tell us? That I might win more of them. Every decision he made in his life was oriented around this overarching purpose. Will it help me win as many as possible? Can I get as many fish on my line as I can? Paul ordered his strategy based on his purpose. He didn't bring a purpose out of his strategy. Paul says, I am prepared to modify my habits, adjust my lifestyle, Set aside my preferences. Let me ask you a question. For what are you prepared to adjust your habits? Change your lifestyle 
and set aside your preferences. You might say, hey, this is who I am. I'm not going to change. But Paul is calling you alongside himself to abandon what might be your legitimate rights, freedoms, for the sake of the gospel. One commentator said this, and I like it, Paul sought to use the methods which combined the greatest integrity with the greatest impact. The methods that use the greatest integrity, in other words, he's not going to compromise on his theology in order to do this, right? But he wanted to use methods with the greatest impact. That's what we're looking for, too in 2023 in verse 22 he says to become all things to all people it means to assume different roles according to the ways that people differ it doesn't mean changing our message in the face of opposition that's what some people have taken this text to mean and they're wrong they're dead wrong and that's not what paul meant at all so if we're going to reach people who are sinfully different from us. If we want to reach, for example, the homosexual community, well then we just need to be affirming at Heather Hills. We need to allow them to come in and, and be members and, and be leaders and be pastors and deacons. and Oh no, friends. We have to have the greatest integrity. We have to be true before Christ, before His Word. However, boy, are we going to love the homosexual community. And boy, are they welcome in this place. And boy, will we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ that changed us, that can change them. Why does He do this? Well, look, He illustrates this principle. And look at verse 20, back up to verse 20. And, and, and essentially what we have here in verses 20 and 21 and 22, the summary statement, is a lesson in starting where people are. And this is, this is something we need to do. This is something we need to work on. A lot of us aren't willing to do this, and we need to. We need to become willing to do this. We need to change the way we're living to accomplish this. And that's not going to be easy. Look what he says. To the Jews I became as a Jew. Why? In order to win Jews. When you take away that last phrase, in order to win Jews, then all these earlier statements become silly. They become nonsense. Why why, why do you become as a Jew, Paul? Well, I want the Jewish people to like me. Right? That kind of of, uh, living, philosophy of living happens all the time, doesn't it? To my friends, I become just like my friends in their lifestyles and in their language and in the substances they're abusing, etc., 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 etc. Why do you become a Jew, Paul? Well, I was afraid of the Jews, so it was the only thing I could do. You know, peer pressure. That's not what Paul's about. You can't take that last phrase out of the mix, it's silly otherwise. But to say that I sit with a group of guys in the cafeteria at work 
who are very, very different from me. Radically different from me. And I sit with them and I listen to them and I share with them without ever compromising my own principles so that I might have the opportunity to proclaim my message to them. The good news. That was Paul's approach to the Jews. Now, he was a Jew in background, wasn't he? But Paul had been liberated from all that Jewish stuff when he came to Christ. But Paul didn't berate the Jews for the fact that, you know, they have this unnecessary commitment to all these special days and feasts and festivals. If taking part in something with them opens a door for the gospel and it doesn't compromise my beliefs, Paul's going to open that door. So if that meant the circumcision of Timothy, do you remember that in the New Testament? Timothy was a Gentile. Didn't need to get circumcised. He did. It was absolutely unnecessary for Timothy to be saved, right? But he did it. Why would you do that? I mean, why would you do that? As an adult, why would you do that? Timothy did it so he could win some Jews. If it means entering into the purification rituals in order that he might have the opportunity to preach to these people, Paul will go through the purification rituals. If it means shaving his head and taking a Nazarite vow in order to proclaim the gospel, then bring the barber in and shave my head. Do you see what Paul's saying? To the Jews, I became as a Jew. Not for some arbitrary, silly reason. No, that I might win them look at verse 21 and by the way the 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 jews there and those under the law are are virtually the same there may be some distinction there may have been some gentiles that the new testament calls god fearers who may have put themselves voluntarily under the mosaic law and so those people would be lumped in in that category as well as being under the law But look what he says in verse 21 in dealing with the Gentiles now, most of those that were outside the law. He did the very opposite. When he went into a Jewish context, he became as Jewish as he possibly could be. But now his Gentile friends are having, you know, a meal, right? Hey, you know what's on the, you know what's on the the docket, right? Idol meat. Mmm. Right? Paul says, fine. The meal doesn't compromise my commitment to the gospel. Let's have the meal. He goes over to his friend's house. They've got no interest in special days and ceremonial meals. They they hardly even ever wash their hands ceremonially before they eat. But Paul didn't walk in and say, Hey guys, where's the purification jars? You know? Do you know that I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews? You know? We always wash our hands before we eat. No, Paul would just sit down and get on with it. He would start where they were. To those who were outside the law, without the law, he became as outside the law, without the law. The Gentiles had no law of Moses. They had no religious obligation, so he didn't come to them with a load 
with a burden of religious obligations. Now, interestingly, Paul's a very smart guy. (laughs) And Paul puts into these texts a disclaimer to make sure everybody understands he's not being hypocritical. He's not putting himself, Paul is not literally putting himself back under the law. He's not doing that. And he's, he's not ignoring the law or trivializing the law. Notice the parentheses in verses 20 and 21. Even though Paul became like the Jews and those under the law, he says, though not my, being myself under the law. See? Just in case you were wondering about my theological compromising here, I'm not doing that. And though Paul became like those without the law, he clarifies in verse 21 in the parentheses, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Do you see how he clarifies that? So he's not compromising this theology. This is where some people get this verse wrong. And they say the end justifies the means. So we'll do whatever it takes to get people in the doors. No, no, no. No, Paul did not compromise his theology, but he did modify his habits, and he did adjust his lifestyle, and he did set aside his preferences that he would win. Look at the third illustration, or fourth, depending on how you take it. Verse 22. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Now, obviously, Paul's not talking here about moral matters. He, he's not saying that in matters of morality, he became immoral to win immoral people to Christ, right? That would be the wrong application again of this whole principle. What he is saying is this. Paul is identifying as closely as he can, stooping down to the level of people's weaknesses, Now, brothers and sisters this morning, understand this. You and I need to learn how to adapt ourselves to people in their weakness. That doesn't mean we need to adapt ourselves to people who are stubborn or belligerent, but adapting ourselves to people who are weak in their weaknesses. And then Paul summarizes all this in that famous statement in verse 22, I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. In other words, he was willing to cross any cultural gap that he could legitimately in his theology, in his convictions about Christ. He was prepared to cross that gap himself rather than asking men and women to cross that gap to where he was. I wonder if we understand what that means. Let me give you an example. It's fleshed out beautifully in John chapter 4. Do you remember the example of Jesus with the woman at the well? Do you remember the story? Jesus is tired. He sits down by a well. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. Verse 7. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? Is that a big deal? Yeah, it's a huge deal. For one thing, men didn't normally in society speak publicly to women. Didn't happen. 
in that culture. Secondly, Jews weren't supposed to speak to, to Samaritans. They didn't like them. Now we've got a man who's a Jew speaking to a woman who's a Samaritan. It's a major taboo. Why does Jesus do it? He's fishing. Sure, he wants a drink of water. He's thirsty. He's tired. But he's using his thirst as a means of crossing a cultural divide into a woman's life, a woman that he knows comes from a tragic background of adultery and other immoral, illicit relationships. Her life is a wreck. He knows all this. And Jesus doesn't come to her and say, excuse me, madam, do you know that I am a great religious leader? In fact, do you know that I am the Messiah of God? Do you know that I am going to go to Calvary and die for the wretched sins in your life? What does he do? Could I have a drink of water? Brothers and sisters, I I feel like we're in great danger in our country of becoming increasingly irrelevant with regard to the lost. Just think about how much time you and I spend with those apart from Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I am just like you. I enjoy our cozy Christian subculture. I love being around other Christians. Love it. I'm not forsaking that. I love our very familiar, happy gatherings. I love our lovely worship services. I enjoy our warm fellowship times. But most of our unsaved friends and neighbors, do you understand this? They can't figure out how to even get to our side of the bridge. They're blind. Spiritually blind. And Paul is simply saying, you know, Jesus never asked them to. He asked us to walk across the bridge to them. He's saying to the Jew, I walk across the bridge this way. To the Gentile, I walk another way. To the weak, I start at weakness because I become all things to all people that by all means, legitimate means, I'm under the law of Christ. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save, win, catch some. follower of Jesus Christ, a little closer to us than Paul is, showed us how to do this pretty well, a fellow by the name of Hudson Taylor. In about the mid-1800s, Hudson Taylor went to China as a Christian missionary. While he was there, he also founded the China Inland Mission. 
Taylor argued from the example of the Apostle Paul, this is a quote from Hudson Taylor, let us in everything not sinful, did you hear that clarification? Let us in everything not sinful become like the Chinese, that by all means we may save some. That's Hudson Taylor. What verse do you think he's referring to? In saying that Taylor was taking a different line than most of the missionaries at the time, he was. Instead of expecting the Chinese to adopt Western Christendom, he adopted Chinese culture. He grew his hair out and put it in the long braid that was typical of the men in China. He ate Chinese food. He wore traditional Chinese clothing. He learned their language. He learned their stories and their culture. And Taylor recognized that forcing his European Christian subculture on the Chinese won't work. So he became like the Chinese as much as he could without sinning, just like Paul became a Gentile as much as he could without sinning. And Taylor's unusual move allowed him to do something different than those who had come to China before him. He was able to use their language, their stories, their metaphors that resounded in their hearts with with the Chinese people. How are you doing this, Paul? Becoming all things to all people. Last question. Why are you doing this, Paul? Why are you inconveniencing yourself so much in this way? Giving up your rights and freedoms, making yourself a slave to all people, adapting your habits, your lifestyle, your preferences. Why are you doing this, Paul? The final question, I think, is answered in verse 23. Why am I doing this? Paul says, I do it all. Why? For the sake of the gospel that I may share with them. With who? With the people he wins. I may share with them in its blessings. Paul wanted to see the power and the reality of the good news spread as far and as wide as possible. Let other people be concerned about their rights. Let other people be concerned about their rewards. Paul was concerned about the gospel. He wanted to win souls. Now, if your heart says amen to that this morning, I want to ask you what you're prepared to do about it. What kind of change do you believe you need to make as a businessman or businesswoman, as a mom? as a student, as whoever you are, what kind of change are you prepared to make? Because you've been reminded again this morning forcefully by God's Word through the example of Paul that you exist as a Christian in order to win men and women to Jesus Christ. The truth is, some of our flames have become dim. Some of them are under bushels. Remember that picture Jesus talked about? 
And we wonder why no one sees the light. Can't see the candle when it's under a bucket. Another great example of this mindset, I think, comes from Luke 19. Again, the example of Jesus. Do you remember the story? Jesus comes to town. He looks up in a tree. sees a man named Zacchaeus. Wee little man. Jesus calls out his name. Zacchaeus, come down. Everybody knew Zacchaeus was a dirty little cheat. You know what the religious people standing around were thinking, right? What kind of deal is this? I thought this was the Messiah. Surely he's coming to hang out with us, right? We're the religious people. What's he doing calling Zacchaeus by his name? Goodness gracious. Zacchaeus is it's coming down the tree. What's, what's he going to do now? He's probably going to zap him. Because that guy is a bad guy. We don't let him in our houses. We don't let him in our synagogue. Ha! Huh, he's going to dinner at Zacchaeus' house. He's going to have fellowship with that cheat. Why? Jesus' answer? To win the sinner. Jesus didn't become a cheater to win a cheat. But he went into the cheater's house. And he loved the cheater. And he spoke the good news to the cheater. And the cheater came out changed. All things to all people to save some. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back to the front. We're going to sing a final song here in a moment. Have a benediction. Go to our ABF classes. They're coming. Think about application with me for a moment or two. That's scary. (laughs) I'm going to give you six to get started. Number one, you and I need to pray that God would open the doors for us to speak the good news to people. I asked you to write some names down. I want you to pray for them. But before you even pray for them, pray as Paul did to the Colossians that God would open a door for you to be able to speak to them. Secondly, we need to pray specifically for people we know who are lost. Not God save all the lost people. No, God save John. God, save Mary. Save the people you know who are lost. We need to pray for them specifically and pray for them regularly and engage others in praying for them. Third, we need to consider what obstacles we have put in the way of sinners getting the gospel from us. And we need to remove them as far as possible. What obstacles have you put in your life in the way of sinners getting the gospel from us? Remove those obstacles as much as you can. Number four, we need to be willing to cross the cultural bridge and go to them. They're not going to come to us, brothers and sisters. That's not the way this thing works. We've got to go to them. 
Number five, we need to think about how this priority of winning souls may need to alter the course of our lives. You need to think about how this priority of winning souls, I don't know where that ranks in your priority list. We all have priorities, you know? I love my family. You know, I pay the bills. Try to be a nice person. We've got, we've got this list of priorities in our mind. Where is winning men and women to Jesus Christ? Where is that on your priority list? You've got to move it up there. I have to move it up there. And we have to realize that's going to change our lives in some ways. And we need to be okay with that. And then six, some of us need to do some work at making the gospel message clear. Some of the reasons some of us don't speak is because we're nervous, we're afraid, we think we'll mess up. We think we don't know the right things to say or how to lead someone to Christ. Well, we may need to pick up some gospel tracks. Do you know where they are? Right out that door to the main hallway, turn right. There's a whole rack of them right on the wall. If you don't know what to say in a clear, cogent, passionate way, grab some gospel tracks and give them to the person you're praying for. Or read it through with them and use it as, a, as an outline, as a guide for you. It's going to take doing practical things. We may, we may need to take a refresher course in evangelism. By the way, we're going to offer one of those after Easter. I hope that if you need that course, come and take it. We may need to develop some accountability. You may need to find a Christian brother or sister to, to, to help you, to keep you accountable to staying engaged in fishing for men and women and in praying for the people on each other's lists. Don't try to do it by yourself. We fail a lot of things by ourselves. Accountability is a God-ordained tool to help us. Heather Hills, that's what's going to take. It might take reading some books, especially the Bible. It's going to take thinking some things out in our lives and our priorities. It's going to take fervent, relentless prayer. It's going to take crossing those cultural bridges to the people who are different from us. Why? To win some for Jesus. Let me close with the words of C.T. Studd. He was an English missionary in the last century. He served Christ in China and India and Africa. I think he was the one who was also a famous uh, athlete before he went into missions, a a cricketer, I think. I'm not going to go into that. But here's the quote. You've you've probably heard this before, but think about it. Think about it in, in terms of your own life. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. We've got to go to them by all means possible. God help us.